You're listening to The Retail Perch with Shekhar Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Retail Perks. Uh, great to be back here after a couple of weeks break, but it looks like, Gary, like as usual, when it rains, it pours. We just got a long list of guests lined up here for the next few well, episodes. It's certainly going to carry us uh, through the what little is left of summer. That's right. That's right. I'm trying to see if we can get through all of them before the summer is out. So <laughs> The clock is ticking. And that's right. But but listen, uh, we're coming up on that big magic number of 100. And I'm thinking we should have a raffle to see who's who wants to be on the 100th episode and kind of do a uh, giveaway or something. Good idea. A bad idea. Good idea. All right. We certainly yeah. need to celebrate. Yes, yes, absolutely. But I think we got some exciting stuff coming up. We've covered some really cool, cool topics uh, this um, year. Uh, but this is one that we haven't touched. I mean, we've we've uh, had a previous uh, customer, I believe, um, previous guest on Retail Perch. Gary, talking about, I'd say, customer service engagement, right? Employee engagement, not yeah. so much from the sales side, but more from a corporate communication side. Yeah. And this is super interesting to have Sparkplug here. So I wanted to welcome Jake and Andrew to the show. Uh, welcome, guys. Uh, can't wait to hear from you. But if you can take a few minutes and just introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about you know, where you came from, uh, what you did before you started Sparkplug, and what inspired you to start Sparkplug. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having us. Uh, it's a really interesting story how we ended up in the retail technology world. Uh, Jake and I actually met as undergrads uh, at Harvard studying behavioral science, um, both really fascinated by the ways that knowledge of the mind and knowledge of individual psychology can aggregate up into knowledge of markets and behaviors for both consumers and workers. Uh, we both went into the finance world after that. I went to a, a hedge fund called Bridgewater. Um, I'll let Jake give a little bit more background on, on where he ended up, but uh, that was where I learned a little bit more about the macro cycles of retail labor, how the hourly labor market is pretty consistently broken, actually. Um, and it doesn't really serve the people who are operating businesses, nor does it serve the people who are working at businesses. So that had always stuck in my mind, um, and then ultimately in Jake's mind as well, as something that we could we could try to impact. But before we ended up doing that, uh, we actually started our own CPG brand, a tea company, which was where we first learned the power of the point of sale employee, those very hourly laborers that we mm. had been thinking about on making yeah. sure that a product Sorry. gets into a customer's hands. Why a tea company? That's a great question. Uh, we, When we left our, our East Coast finance jobs, we were so done with it. We were exhausted. We wanted to be anywhere other than there. We set out on the road and, as Jake puts it, uh, ran out of gas around Boulder, Colorado. We were very much in the entrepreneurial mind, so we wanted to start something new. And Boulder happens to be the natural foods capital of the U.S. Um, so starting a tea company just sort of felt like part of moving into an apartment there. Um, you know, you got your uh, got your renter's insurance and then you got your tea company as well. Um, so kicked that off and, you know, ended up finding that the best places for us to sell were places like spas and salons um, where there were really high touch customer experience where we could actually get in and start working with, say, a salon technician or a masseuse at a spa to recommend our product 
to the customers that were coming through so that they would think about how, you know, they could use so, that as their, so a part on. of their own relaxation routine. You go from a Ray Dalio Bridgewater <laughs> Associates to T at salons. Mm-hmm. That's a big change. Yeah, that's neat career path. <laughs> it was, you know, a funny, uh, a funny note that I think um, ultimately put me at least on on my portion of the path uh, was Ray telling uh, folks at at Bridgewater very straightforwardly, as he is wont to do, um, that if they want to end up in his position, then working for somebody else probably isn't the thing to do. Uh, because he didn't get there by working for somebody else. And he ultimately struck out on his own and, and tried to do a lot of things earlier on that ended up failing before he was able to actually start Bridgewater. Um, have you so heard that, of his TED Talk recently, the one that came out? Yes, about yes, the, I Connecting the, the dots. The, I guess mm-hmm. you have the dot program or whatever it is called, right? Yeah. Yes, the dots. Yeah. The dots are actually, I mean, interestingly enough, you know, my experience at Bridgewater um, and, you know, what Jake uh experienced in his time working in in management consulting, uh, particularly like HR technology consulting, informed, you know, what we built into Sparkplug. Um, You know, at Bridgewater, it's all about transparency. It's all about knowing how people are performing, helping those people see how they're performing, rewarding them for that performance and creating that feedback loop so people can improve. Radical transparency. That's what Radical transparency, exactly. So that's, that's a philosophy that we also, you know, think fits in the retail world because, you know, a point of sale employee at a retailer or at a restaurant is in many ways more impactful than your classic, you know, desk bound salesperson. But for some reason, they aren't really rewarded in the same way. You know, they could be moving hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of merchandise in a particular store over the course of a month. And they could be doing so at a much higher rate than the next employee over, uh, even if they're working the same amount of hours, but they don't really receive a differential reward. They receive the same, you know, eight, 10, 12 bucks an hour that they get for putting in their time. So we think that taking some of those more uh, you know, desk-bound, classic knowledge worker job tenants and bringing them into the hourly worker space is a way to really supercharge some of these environments that haven't seen a lot of innovation uh, in, in particularly in employee engagement over the past you know, 10, 15, 20 years. Wow. Jake, do you have anything to add to that? Anything to correct, by the way? <laughs> you know, I think Andrew covered it. That all sounds sounds about right to me. I think that uh, to that quite the T thing is is kind of a funny uh, leg on the journey. And you know, looking back, I don't have a better explanation besides exactly how Andrew put it. We were into T, uh, and it was really at the uh, you know, this was twenty seventeen, so it was a little bit earlier on on the CBD explosive curb, and it, and it was a CBD herbal tea. Um, and, you know, Colorado at the intersection of cannabis, CBD, natural foods, uh, and tea, it really just felt right at the time and, uh, and was a great kind of foray for us into all of this, uh, you know, the world of natural foods and retail and, and brands and CPG and supply chain and learned so, so much in that endeavor um, and uh, kind of topic of dots got me thinking about uh, Steve Steve Jobs commencement speech where he talks about connecting the dots, looking back, um, different dots, but uh, similar dots all, all, nonetheless. And uh, you know, for us, I think that those dots kind of lined up perfectly for us and, and have carried us forward to where we are here. So, so what retail verticals do you focus on? 
Yeah. So when we first got started, you know, this, the CBD was uh, that first space for us. So uh, our initial um, markets were, were really cannabis and, and continue to this day to be our primary vertical that we're serving um, along with restaurants, outdoor gear, nutraceuticals. Uh, but cannabis really has been such a tremendous sandbox for us. The space is so ripe with innovation uh, businesses who are really handcuffed in so many ways from the traditional marketing channels that CPG yeah. are able to invest in. In cannabis, there's no, uh, you know, magazines really, you know, where they can advertise in and reach a mass market. They're not doing billboards or TV ads or online ads are also really challenging. So these businesses really rely so heavily on differentiating in store. And they're doing that through constant pricing promotions. It's super competitive uh, in-store pop-ups, training materials for these employees and uh, with spark plug incentives, uh, the ability to pay or training on why a certain product edible drinkable uh, is so much better than the competitors on the shelves, as well as aligning financial interests for those employees behind the brand as well. Mm-hmm. So as we've thought about growing and expanding outside of cannabis, we've thought a lot about what sort of other verticals are similar. And the, those similarities typically are a high, highly fractured uh, swath of independent retailers. Restaurants also fit really well into that category. The, the overlap in the workforce between cannabis and the food service restaurant hospitality industry is really fascinating. I talked to so many bud tenders and cannabis dispensaries, and they uh, often came from, uh, you know, being a, a short order cook or a server or a hostess at a, um, at a restaurant down the street. So I like how you paused on the word high. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so restaurants, fascinating for us, super relevant, um, really anywhere where the customer walks in and asks, well, what do you recommend? Um, and is typically faced with limited knowledge about the differentiation in products, um, as well as you know, Andrew has a whole kind of formula with which he thinks about this that, that you might want to share here. Gary, I'm just thinking, is, is how do you resolve, is there a conflict between the operator of the store then and the brand? I mean, I mean, where does the incentive go? I mean, how, how are you doing this? I'm like, if I'm working at a store, mm. is that something that I'm directly doing through Sparkling or is it through the channels of the retailer? Great question. Yeah. So we incorporate the retailer into the process. Um, so we're not allowing the vendors to sort of scoot around the retailer and interact directly with the employees. Instead, we're onboarding the retailer because what we really want to enforce in this process and in this network that we're building is that win-win-win situation. We don't want it to be a scenario where retailers feel like their employees are being unduly influenced by brands in a way that doesn't align with their goals. So every incentive that a brand wants to run has to be approved by the retailer or restaurant to which it is being offered. Um, and the retailers and restaurants can also run their own internal incentive campaigns rather than incentives oriented around a particular brand's products. They can incentivize their own private label products, or they can incentivize sales metrics like order average or units per transaction, things that benefit them by kind of rising all boats across the SKUs that they carry. Um, so the 
retailer is really, really crucial, not only in that approval process, but also in the fact that by bringing in the retailer, we can actually integrate into their point of sale systems and access all the transactional information at the retailer to inform the whole sort of collaborative function of the platform. Because so much of the challenges in coordinating between vendors and retailers that we experienced when we were trying to work with big grocery stores and offer chargebacks, pricing promotions, whatever in those environments is the data, the visibility. You know, if I'm going to be spending $10,000 before I'm even getting that, uh, you know, 30, 60 or 90 day delayed invoice payment to sell more product through your retailer, like I want to know where that's going. I want to know what's happening. And if I do know, and I see that it's really working, then I'll feel way more confident spending more. So a huge part of it is saying, hey, retailers, in return for getting this huge value proposition, which is your employees earning more and you not having to pay them more, while also selling more through your store, all you have to do is share a little bit of data transparently with the brand so that they can feel confident in what they're doing. That's why bringing them in is so crucial. Yeah, I, I can see that working in, you know, what I'm going to say are smaller retailers, you know, with high touch or high engagement with shoppers, right? Where they've got time to have that conversation. Makes perfect sense. Um, you know, I come out of the world of, of supermarkets or grocery, right? Where typically that employee doesn't have time to have a uh, five-minute conversation. But sort of the parallel thought, though, that, that hit me right now is what you've really got, it sounds like, is an incentivized training application or program. And I'm wondering if larger retailers like supermarkets, for example, couldn't make use of your platform, um, you know, to incentivize their employees to, uh, you know, go through different training programs and or, you know, one of those could be um, training on our private label products or, you know, the seafood supplier we use or, you know, those types of things where, you know, it, it plays to their strengths. Absolutely. Yeah. So we think about employee performance in these environments as a combination of two things, skill and will, um, you know, skill being knowledge, selling ability, and simply, you know, those pieces of information and, um, you know, built up uh, abilities that are ultimately going to allow you to execute on the sale effectively. But then there's will, which is something that we think is vastly underserved in the space. There's a lot of applications out there that are trying to, to train people to give people more information, but there are very few applications that are trying to really motivate them to use that information or to request that information. Um, so we think about hey, let's start with will actually, because what we've learned in our history in you know, the behavioral science world is that if you motivate people to want to get to the outcome by paying them a percentage of what the store generates, even if that's at a lower touch environment like a grocery store, um, then they'll actually ask you for training as opposed to you having to say, hey, take this training and sort of stuff it into their agenda mm. and make them do it. They'll say, hey, can we actually get more training on this? Because I'm really trying to sell it, but People are asking me these questions and I don't know what the answers are. So you can create a really, really powerful scenario where exactly like you're saying, you're incentivizing and motivating them to get trained and get better at their jobs because you're rewarding them on the other side of it. Um, and from a functionality perspective, it's quite easy for us to do 
incentives that are explicitly gated by training. So you can say, hey, if you want to participate in this dollar per unit commission or this $50 per unit commission, depending on the, you know, the type of product that we're talking about, you have to do the training first. Once you've done the training, then you can start accruing value. Um, so it gives them a little bit more of a, a methodology for, for incorporating incentives into that training process, like you said. Hmm. Got it. Got it. So, so I want to, if you don't mind, I'm going to rewind a little bit. So you started this tea company. Mm-hmm. How did that wind up with Spark Club? So what, what was the transition? What happened? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so essentially what happened was, you know, we're, we're working on, on tea. We're selling it into both these spa environments, which are very high touch, very individualized, and also grocery environments like, you know, Sprouts across all, you know, Sprouts locations in Colorado, which is way more, you know, distant data driven and, you know, promotion driven, less about that in-person experience. But both of those scenarios were quite painful for us because in that grocery environment, we didn't have visibility into the data. You know, we were working with a distributor intermediary. We barely got any information about what was going on in the store and what we could pay for to make things work better. Whereas on the flip side, it was hard for us to manage and wrangle all these different, you know, spa salon employees and get them really excited about the product at scale or make them feel like they were getting rewarded for, you know, sitting with us and talking with us and learning about the product. Um, So it became very clear to us that there was something that we could build in this juncture that would kind of kind of fill that gap and ultimately what really drove us into that mode was the disruption caused by by the pandemic um because the supply chain that we had developed and the retail partners that we had developed when covid hit kind of kind of dissipated they kind of disappeared and it ceased to be really a viable business for us so we thought, okay, let's be light on our feet. Let's figure out what we need to do. And we were able to take those insights and really imbue them into what would ultimately become the Sparkplug platform. And now, you know, that has allowed us to align not only our interest in these markets, but also our passion for creating more income equality, creating more availability of, you know, dollars for the people who are creating so much value in these environments. And, um, you know, that's a mission that we've, you know, been able to build a really excited team of, of, you know, both investors and employees around. So that was what really sort of launched us into it was that was that disruption. Um, And lucky for us, the cannabis industry was essentially the only brick and mortar retail industry that stayed open during COVID, um, because they were deemed medically necessary by uh, many of the states they operate in. And that allowed us to grow a brick and mortar retail technology tool in the absolute worst possible time. And as a result, we were able to come out on the other side of the pandemic in a really good position to take advantage of, you know, this sort of regain of form of the, of the retail and restaurant world. Wow. Interesting. Gary, you remember, must've been a year and a half ago when we we were right in the middle of the pandemic, we said, this is going to spur the growth of a lot of technologies that are going to figure out how to optimize labor yes. in retail. Yeah. And you know, that's exactly what's happening. This is, this is really cool. It's very innovative. So, uh, so where's the psychology meet, meets retail aspect of this? Is this about how do you, how do you incentivize the frontline store personnel to drive brand sales? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's all about, uh, and you know, Jake is kind of our product whiz over here. He can probably talk a little bit more about it, but it really is all about figuring out what cadence and what type of incentives are going to motivate people, and how do you have to communicate with them to make it as easy as possible. Yeah, and, and what types of incentives do you use? 
really vary that. I think that that's where we're really pioneering um, incentive marketing uh, as, as a really novel marketing channel for CPG businesses to invest in. They have their uh, you know, pricing strategy. They have traditional direct-to-consumer marketing, whether that's email, that's online, ads, TV. Um, and we are unlocking incentives and the influence of frontline employees as a viable channel uh, to market directly to customers. So we really do think of incentive marketing as a equal parts art and science, uh, just like when it comes to launching a big email campaign, you know, you're dialing in your copy and your creative and the color of your buttons um, and you're shipping iteratively to figure out what's working and what's re resonating. Um, it's really, really similar with, with incentives and that there are a lot of variables to consider. There's the product uh, and, and the kind of margin on the product, how much you can actually you know, expect to be able to invest in. Um, there's the culture of the store. Some stores that we work with are very, very collaborative and, and their management is actually in fact opposed to the idea of doing something too competitive internally. And that's not the type of cop, uh, you know, kind of culture they want to, to foster internally. Um, and then some stores are fiercely competitive. And when without Sparkplug, then there are employees who are competing over whose tip jar has the highest amount at the end of the day. So kind of marrying those insights, uh, we have built Sparkplug to be uh, extremely configurable, very customizable to facilitate all sorts of these incentives, whether it's team-based or individual, competitive or goal or um, you know, commission. And uh, the, the idea is that we're enabling these brands to deploy multiple different incentives uh, to a single store at once. And the idea is that we never have a $1 commission on an item up against $1.25, uh, which is up against $1.50, all on you know, competing items. Um, at that point, it's just a race to the bottom and it's no, no different than a, a pricing promotion or a discount. So instead, educating our brands and our customers on how to uh, really lean into the, the art and science of incentives and psychology, which is a really big value proposition of our business. We've developed a lot of content, a lot of kind of uh, knowledge and, and resources that we share with our customers continually about how to position their product and differentiate their offer and you know, instead of month over month running the same incentive, offering a hundred dollar to the top seller uh, at the end of this month, but then they're going to do a quarter long, um, you know, incentive that they'll be earning uh, $50 for every 50 units they sell. And then interspersed there, they'll do kind of flash incentives where uh, a Monday we'll do, um, you know, just a flash goal, sell 25 units, get 25 bucks. Um, so constantly experimenting with that taking a lot of cues from gig economy leaders. There are tech platforms in this space, DoorDash, Uber, Grubhub, all have a lot of um, you know, really fascinating uh, academic research on, on this topic specifically of how they're motivating drivers and, and uh, you know, other gig workers to, to stay on the road just a little bit longer and pick up just a couple more passengers to unlock the next bonus or the next goal. Um, there's, there's a lot of uh, that sort of research that's imbued into uh, how do you measure? Well. How do you measure the impact? Yeah, I think that that's one of the uh, most exciting things about our product and our integrations with the point of sale systems is that the proof is in the pudding and it's undeniable. We look at all sorts of metrics around employee engagement, um, you know, how much they're kind of interacting with the product. But at the end of the day, it's sales. It's, it's the sales of the incentivized product, outperforming sales of non-incentivized products. There's a lot of noise in the system, as you can imagine here. There's competing promotions, there's seasonality, and there's a lot to control for. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, being able to hook into those point of sale systems and, and automate the administrative overhead that typically would accompany a program like this 
also is what allows for um, you know really really clear attribution of, of what's working and what's not, so that you can test and, and adapt on the fly. Mm -hmm. Can you give us any uh, specific examples of brands or programs in either you know grocery retail or or some other related type CPG retail? Yeah, yeah, Andrew, you want to tell them about uh, perhaps? Uh, yes, we typically like to keep our brand partners, uh, you know, <laughs> we'll bleep bit, it out. Yeah, yeah, we can bleep that out because uh, we like to keep our brand partners uh, under um, undercover as sometimes they don't, you know, want to be uh, seen driving those out into the market. But we, uh, yeah, worked with a large chicken distributor to offer incentives at pizza shops, which was an area of their network that they were um, seeing underperformance in relative to some of their other food service channels, because you go to a pizza shop, you don't necessarily think like, okay, I'm going to get wings. Um, but they wanted to really see those as, you know, increased points of distribution for them. So they offered a really simple incentive and is a great example of how our higher volume products can be incentivized with, you know, relatively small amounts um, of dollar volume. Um, so they ran a essentially 25 cents per wing uh, incentive at uh, various different pizza shops, about a hundred locations that they wanted to you know, push some more results through and saw incredible, incredible results. Um, really significant increase in not only the total sales of the product, um, but also in their market share. So taking over, you know, something like 40% of the, uh, of the sort of unit types sold in those mm -hmm. retailers. Uh, restaurants over and above what they had been seeing previously. You know, previously they were maybe ten or fifteen percent, but just during this incentive period, they really, um, you know, exploded in their their sort of market dominance in that particular set of locations. Um, they were also able to resist some of the contraction in sales that locations had seen. So there were a couple of locations that had decreased in total sales, something like forty percent over the course of the you know the month over month period, but the uh, chicken products had actually increased in sales. Um, so we saw some really great sort of market outperformance. And then, you know, lastly, you know, we saw a really, really great, um, qualitative response from the employees themselves. Um, employees in these restaurants get really significant value out of this, not only in dollars and cents, but also in terms of, of motivation and engagement, they feel more excited to actually go in and, and do the work. So yeah, that was a, a really exciting engagement that, you know, we hope to scale to thousands and hundreds right. of thousands of restaurants because you can so, really scale so, it as much as you could any campaign. So I'm guessing this is some kind of a, a SaaS platform that you onboard a retailer into requires some integrations. And then the back end, there is some brand interface where they can go and participate with the retailers to in, set their incentives up. My, that kind of how it works. Yeah, exactly right. It's essentially a three-sided marketplace in that sense. We have uh, uh, the retailers and restaurants uh, on board, integrate their point of sale system, um, get their employees set up, real seamless employees use um, on their end a SMS bot and a web app, um, you know, mobile first. So they have some really... ID per employee. So each employee yep. is uniquely identifiable with the sale. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, a portal for, for the brands and vendors, distributors to go in and create their incentives just like they would on Google AdWords or, or Facebook ads, um, you know, monitor the success of their campaign, uh, double down, reset it for the next cycle, um, and, and track results all in one place. Hmm. Well, and they can load up training or educational materials or whatever. 
Yeah, they can, you know, match uh, right alongside an incentive, uh, training materials, a video, any sort of content that they want to just get in front of these influential yeah. uh, employees. Hmm. Okay, cool. So, so who's, who's paying for this? Is this the retailer or the brand or both? Or both? So we have a pricing model for our retailers that is totally free, in fact. Um, so a lot of our retailers and restaurants, uh, they just want to accept incentives from vendors, in which case uh, we are giving them access to the tool for free. They just click accept whenever they want to receive an incentive from one of their upstream CPG partners. Um, no cost to them. It really is a, a profound offer from those brand partners and a commitment to investing in sell through at those stores and those doors. Um, and a lot of these retailers and restaurants very quickly become convinced of the value of incentives and how their employees are uh, you know, just resonating and how the, again, proof is, is in the pudding and the sales are going up and, and they are uh, interested in leveraging Sparkplug to run their own internal incentives that we call them, where they can offer uh, you know, their own order average contest or uh, manager goal or even a store versus store or location versus location. Uh, kind of competition, and that is a paid uh, subscription for, for those you, retailers. Kind of leaderboard functionality that allows people to kind of stay ahead of the game, so to say. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yep, yep. And and that real time visibility is so is so important, and that is, uh, uh you know, uh, seems simple and, and straightforward, but is something that we've been able to incorporate a lot of. Um, you know, things that we've learned in uh, around psychology and behavior uh, to make sure that that sort of real-time visibility is very top of mind and motivating and encouraging and showing those, um, you know, those thermometers right up against the, the right. next tier. Yeah. So do you find that you have to constantly keep innovating on your motivational strategies? Because, you know, I guess, you know, after a while, there's only so much dopamine that's going to impact you. That, that level needs to go higher and higher to get more and more excited. So, so how do you, how do you keep the whole thing fresh? Yeah. So you definitely want to avoid, that's what's called a hedonic treadmill. So a scenario in which you are consistently adding and adding and adding to the stimulus required to get the same amount of response. Um, the best way to, to avoid that is actually also the best way to create the highest ratio of response to stimulus, uh, which is intermittent reinforcement. Um, so it's been shown quite consistently that, you know, you put a rat in a maze and you allow them to press a button that gives them a piece of cheese every single time. They'll do that. And then it will ultimately extinguish the behavior after, you know, 10 tries. Um, yeah. Then a scenario in which you give them a basically random response rate of when they press the button and get the reward will maintain their connection to that button until the end of time, essentially. It's, you know, the same reason why people love slot machines. Um, it's the same reason why uh, people are consistently engaging with activities that have yeah. unclear rewards. Um, the slot so machine. The... the lottery ticket, the slot machine, th those, those structures exist for a reason, which is that people respond more when they aren't necessarily getting rewarded every single time. Um, so a great book by Neil El, Hooked. I don't know if you read it. Yes, absolutely. Um, so that's kind of a, a, yeah, that's, that's classic, you know, product management and product development strategy built into that book, which, you know, we try to execute on not necessarily by making the rewards of say any given commission intermittent, because when you sell a unit, you want to get the reward for that unit, but instead by creating a consistently changing style of reward structures. So that's why we offer the combination of 
goals, leaderboards, commissions, different types of incentive structures, where if you're actually rotating them relatively consistently enough, then you're not going to run into that hedonic treadmill effect. It's not just, okay, well, this is the same commission we get every single month. Instead, it's, oh, well, last Mm. month was a cool commission. And then they'll wait two months before sending another incentive, and then they'll do a leaderboard. And it's an interesting and new engagement. And we find that the behavior of selling more of that particular brand's products actually doesn't extinguish for you know about two or three months after the incentive itself. So you can get a lot of juice from the squeeze of just offering an incentive you know once a quarter at the given retailer and rotating your incentive types over the course of that retailer's life cycle on the platform. So it, it can be a really um, you know simple way of maintaining that um, that process. That's very cool. So I, I see here you are you have the ability to predict the future of experiential <laughs> retail. So we've been trying to do that for a while, Karen. <laughs> so we finally get to hear the answer. We're at the Oracle. So Jake right. and Andrew are the Oracle. And here we are at Orpheus and asking them, hey, what is the future of retail that you see? So so what what's the um what are the interesting technologies that you're seeing that you think can transform retail here? Yeah, interestingly enough, you know, I think, um, you know, Gary, you kind of brought up an interesting point here, which is that the future of retail is bifurcated. And to say the future of retail, I think, is minimizing the degree to which there will be different paths for different types of retail and different products. So at the highest level, it's bifurcating between experience and efficiency, the experiential high touch in store complex purchase cycle versus the efficient grab and go drop ship maximum speed for minimum choice uh, strategy. You know, we don't really play in that world. What we care the most about is that experiential world. And the reason why we feel confident in our ability to predict the future is because our experience in the cannabis industry has actually been one of the most interesting ways of jumping the line of the legacy retail operators. Because cannabis as a retail vertical started about 10 years ago. Um, And as a result, it's the bleeding edge, it's using all the new technologies, and it's using all of the new structures of engagement that other operators can't use because you know, they have structural blockers. Like They just have so much real estate that's built in a way that is going to work in this particular sense. Or they have such huge legacy systems that are built around the store operating in this particular way. So what we've found is that in reality, the technologies that will kind of win the future of experiential retail are the technologies that enable you to have the most pure experience of what retail has been historically. So giving you a really efficient and motivated way to engage in a high touch experience in the store. It's not necessarily, let's create like an AR, VR, try on methodology. It's instead, how do we create the smoothest and most engaged interpersonal experience between the employee in the store and the person who walks into the store? And you're talking about really tech being invisible, enabling an experience that's quintessential about retail, right? Yes. And I think that- a good emergence with hospitality as well, Mm -hmm. I think. True. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I think of retail, I think anywhere where you're selling a product or a service doesn't have to be something that you can- Exactly. Well, that's why there's sort of a spectrum here between the retail sales environment and, you know, the desk bound like software sales environment. Um, And the revolution of like CRM platforms, like- Salesforce and HubSpot, that came around and it turned one salesperson into a hundred salespeople. Um, so you could actually reduce your overall quantity of salespeople and get a greater output. And in the retail world that we're seeing, 
it's possible for you to actually reduce your quantity of effort and expenditure and possibly the number of people that you need, but increase the quality of their output, the quality of their connection with the customer, their motivation and ability to engage those customers in the right way and turn your best employee into a hyper-efficient person who can do you know three or five times as much as they could previously and are motivated to do that, as opposed to just trying to add, 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 and build, 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 um, which I think is what we're expecting to see in the world of physical retail with all the new technological innovations that are, that are jumping in. Interesting. Yeah, I think I would just add, you, know, you, you, can, you can't really talk about, uh, about retail and the future of retail or restaurants uh, without also including um, the, the current state of the labor market and the harsh post-COVID reality of, of how challenging it is to get employees to show up for their shift uh, reliably um, and, and care about the work that they're doing there uh, is, is kind of far and away the number one challenge that our customers are dealing with when it comes to um, you know, operating their business. And that's something that Sparkplug is, is really capitalizing on as well at this point. And, and these businesses are at the end of the day competing with um, you know, desk, desk jobs, of course, and uh, as well as gig economy jobs with like that DoorDash and like Uber and finding ways to incorporate the, the most attractive aspects of, the, of those businesses and those roles, um, agency kind of self-direction, flexible schedule, and financial upside uh, are all things that we are trying to bring to the more traditional brick and mortar and, and restaurant hospitality landscape where these businesses can start to position their compensation model and their ability to provide incentives and uh, align the incentives of their workforce behind the overall goals and growth of the business um, with their team as something that's really compelling, very different, and is going to uh, be uh, one of the most you know, uh, talent uh, attractions that they can do. Cool. Very cool. So I, I know we're kind of running um, at the end of our time here, but if I had to put you in a spot and say, hey, um, if you had to put a word out to the retailers, it's reach out to us if you want to. Oh, how would you complete that? Andrew, what do you think? Uh, I think the best way would be to go to our website at website, sparkplug.app, sparkplug.app, um, you know, sign up for a demo there, or you can reach out directly to uh, me, Andrew at sparkplug.app or Jake at sparkplug.app. Um, we are always interested in having not only conversations with folks that are a perfect fit for the platform, be they a retailer or a brand, but also employees at operators that you know may feel like their operator could be a fit or consultants who support uh, retailers or restaurants or you know brands that are looking to sell more um, you know industry groups if you have any you know interest in in helping out the people that work with you to get their employees more motivated selling more or to create a new marketing channel for them then uh, yeah hit us up so basically what I'm hearing is reach out to us if you want to motivate your employees to sell more or motivate someone else's employees to sell more if you're beholden you to them. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, if you're a brand, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. makes sense. Gary, anything before well, we... Oh, this is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, this is like very unique in terms of what you guys are doing. I wish you guys all the very best. And, you know, congratulations on pulling this off. It was a tough period to start a business and really get things going. So I'm sure you guys have some amazing stories to to share at some point in time, but uh, we'll, we'll keep track of you guys and uh, hopefully get you back on uh, at uh, another episode down the road. 
and hope, hope, hope you guys are 10 times your size. So I heard you guys are yeah, in yeah. the process of raising a Series A or you've already done that or where, where, we, where are you? We at? raised our Series A at the end of last year um, with some really great participants uh, led by Lightbank and um, Podcast World. Jason Calacanis of the All In Podcast is a big, uh, big investor of ours and he's on the board as well. Um, so yeah, we are, uh, excited about the road ahead. Hopefully when next time we're on, we'll, uh, have all of our retail predictions proven out so we can maintain our Oracle status and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. Awesome. Well, well, thanks. Thanks so much for spending your time here with us. We had fun chatting with you and Gary, anything you want to yeah. oh, Thanks for being with us. Great conversation. Yeah, thanks absolutely. So thanks Jake. Thanks Andrew. And Thank uh, you guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Bye-bye. Thank you. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off.